Gotta stash, gotta stash, gotta stash away. Stash what? Stash away. I'm doing the stash away challenge to begin investing. Stash away for retirement, for my kids' education. Sounds like I need to stash away for my first home. You can stash away for any life goal. Just visit stashaway.my or download the Stash Away app to invest part of your salary or direct debit for long-term investment. That's the Stash Away challenge. Stash Away is licensed by the Securities Commission Malaysia. This is a download from BFM 89.9. The business station. A very good morning to everybody. 7.46 in the morning. I'm Kusu Chuang, joined by Joyce Cole, my learned colleague from my hometown of Padang. Now, of course, Sharon Abdullah is also joining us for the business news. Now, gentlemen and lady, we've got John O'Sullivan mm. coming in from Tourism Australia. He's the managing yes, director. He's indeed. selling the country down under. He is. <laughs> and yeah, I think it'll be interesting to talk to him about, did you know that they, there are about 9.2 million visitors arri- I mean, arriving into um, go- going into Australia? So just to get an an insight into what's happening in Australia, how they, because the tourism industry is really big there. This contribute to quite a, a chunk to the economy there. And, um, you know, talk to him about the recent traveling trends, how that has evolved over time. It's no longer just going to Australia to take a photo of your of yourselves in front of the Sydney Harbour Bridge, for instance. Crikey. It's more about Crikey, <laughs> Crikey, right? yeah. it's more about climbing sending... the bridge now. You know, it's all about experiences as well. And how do they go about that? I wonder whether they send more people here or we send more people there. I'll be willing to find out as well mm. what's going on. Also, breaking news, the US has just filed criminal charges against Huawei Technologies for alleging it stores trade secrets and committing bank fraud by violating sanctions against doing business with China. All this comes against a backdrop of uh, China also banning Bing, the search engine for Microsoft. Uh, who, the, who actually who uses Bing nowadays? But uh, that's of course a story for another day. And also the fact that the trade talks between the Americans and the Chinese take place again one more this time this week. So again, uh, this whole America-China thing really gathering momentum. Um, okay, let's move on to the business news. And um, Malaysia is doing a lot, is doing all it can, in fact, to make sure that the property sector is supported. Yep. It's uh, putting together twenty-two and a half billion ringgit of homes on sale in March for I think for. for for three days. And it's the first policy announcement in terms of the Pakistan government's uh, uh, national housing policy. It's kind of like a sub-policy to the main policy, but it's really uh, to get more stock out there, to get more stock sold and, and at affordable levels as well. Right. And also, so with regards to this policy announcement, one of the, uh, some of the outlines is uh, of this affordable homes are that the specification must include a space uh, minimum of 900 square feet. Now, as well as the type of facilities and infrastructure uh, that needs to be included in the development. Now, uh, the pricing is between 95,000 to 300,000 ring, 300, ringgit. And uh, Bank Negara Malaysia has estimated that the maximum price achievable of the median Malaysian household is about 282,000 ringgit. Yeah, but prices are defined based on the median income of the people in the particular area. So I guess it boils down to the location as well as, you know, when it comes to property, it's all about location, location, location. So the type of property as well as the price and how much people earn there. I mean, these are all data points. I hope they'll be able to get current data and up-to-date data when it comes to this uh, housing national the national housing policy scheme. Right. And also, uh, with regards to the initiative, uh, it's uh, a property sale. Now, this is a government plan to sell some 
22.5 billion ringgit worth of real estate, which is uh, which comes to about 22,000 units. Now, this is in order to bridge the gap between property oversupply and lack of affordable homes. Now, developers have been asked to offer at least a 10% discount. Now, 100 80, 180 developers will be participating in this expo. Uh, the last expo was held about 20 years ago, which is around 1998. And uh, it's slated for the, it is slated to happen in the first weekend of March, which is uh, on the 1st and the 3rd. Now, uh, 24% of these units are affordable home units uh, priced at below 300,000 ringgit. Oh, okay. So only 24%. That's right. Then after that, it's... I guess it's more than 300,000. Expensive 000. homes. This, here, this, is, this is Joyce Goff from Penang. That's she's, right. like, she's interested already. Though. <laughs> but then it's only 24%. <laughs> yeah. And then look at the headline. You see, there's a lot of money on the sidelines. You see, Joyce Goff, right? She's just, just, just waiting to spend on something which is uh, no. value for money. Make sure at least 10%. <laughs> you know, but they should check, you know, whether these buyers, when they go and buy these homes, are they really people who who um, should get these affordable homes That's and not, not kind of... Speculators, yeah, right? Yeah, right. They should have proper checks and balances when it comes to the buyers of this home expo thing that they're, happening, that they're going to have in March. Right. Well, I mean, from a policy perspective, the government has complete investment in this whole area because when you look at it, right, the number of residential units unsold nine months after completion is up 18% from a year ago. So developers are building homes. They can't sell it. And uh, somehow or another, because developers, most of them by and large, they don't they don't use cash. I mean, they use leverage, right? Mm. And they use um, co- commitments and deposits from buyers to be able to pay uh, down those loans. So if people are not buying the homes, they can't pay their loans. If they can't pay their loans, the financial system is at risk. So I completely understand why the government is doing this. But um, yeah, could it, I'm but not could sure it be whether because... it's ethically correct to foist home ownership on people who can't afford it in the mm. first place. So that's the social conundrum here. Mm-hmm. And John, another question I have is, when it comes to these unsold units, um, it's up to 18% from a year ago. Is it Could it be because of a mispricing of these units? How much are these units priced? And that's one it, thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. one thing. And of course, Bank Nagara is always aware that the, um, the household debt to GDP ratio is very high. Yeah. high 80% levels, That's right. right? And speaking about the price that you mentioned about earlier, Joyce, I think uh, Malaysian is paying about an, uh, five times more than their annual income uh, in comparison to the standard of about three uh, three times the annual income in, uh, globally. I mean, mm. that's that's the average. Uh, but also just to share, uh, one more area of the policy that is addressing is about the uh, government hoping to build one million affordable homes within 10 years. Now, this is um, th- this plan will be implemented by, uh, by by building about 100,000 homes a year. Uh, and she, Zuraida has said that this is going to be achievable. And um, it's, she's, she also said that 54% of the project would be spearheaded by the housing and local um, local government ministry, where the initial partner would be the TC. Now, who are they? They will be, uh, they will be, the, they have agreed to build about 2,200 units uh, in Rawang and bear the whole planning and also the developing costs. Yeah, one more important element to this whole issue is the rent-to-own scheme. Now, mm. the government is also looking at more rent-to-own schemes, but not enough detail there. Um, offers the buyers to rent their homes for five years, apply to buy it in the sixth year, and um, allows low-income earners to be able to build up the credit scores by paying monthly rent. And then this credit score is a supporting document when applying for a mortgage later. 
So again, I mean, renting is renting, but renting to own eventually is another thing. I don't know why uh, we are so fixated on this home ownership thing. When um, do you know what I mean? Right? It's an yeah. Asian mindset. It's though. an Asian mindset. Mm-hmm. One thing, but do we have to propagate it though? Because if you can't afford it, and then you start to owe a bank money for your property that you own, mm-hmm. if you for some reason are threatened by way of your livelihood and you can't pay the bank anymore, you're going to be a world of pain. Yeah, and yeah. There, there was probably a time when it was worth probably owning a home when price were probably reasonable and probably when it made sense. Uh, for an example, in again, the 1950s, maybe. Yeah, mm-hmm. again, we are two years above the global average, which is uh, three times more the annual. Uh, we are paying five times our annual uh, income. I mean, that's that's the average. But what is the reality right now is that as at the third quarter of 2018, there were over what, 30,000 unsold units worth about 20 billion ringgit. Now, in the same quarter a year earlier, there was just 20,000. So that's a fifth, that's in fact, there's a 50, 50% increase. Now, breaking down the data by housing value, few for properties worth over 1 million ringgit, there were 12,000 units unsold versus 72,000 a year earlier. So that's a 50% increase. Unsold properties worth less than half a million. Um, decreased 51,000 versus 54,000 so for those properties which are more affordable they're flying out the door Mm -hmm. in a way for Expensive properties, not the case. Can't be sold. Yeah, so right? the growing number of unsold homes between a 500,000 ringgit and 1 million ringgit, that's where the unsold homes are, that's where a lot of the, yeah. I guess, supply is coming from. And also the question is, all these affordable homes, where will the location be? Mm. You know, because at the end of the day, sometimes um, it could be further out and whether or not there is accessibility to the city from those homes. Accessibility, one thing, but if you spend less money on your home, but you've got to spend more money on transport, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. By having to buy a car, then what's the point, mm. right? Yeah. So, a lot of issues for the housing and local government uh, ministry to be looking at. But uh, moving on to the CPTTP, and in fact, this is the whole issue of um, regionalization and the whole um, issue of how Malaysia and ASEAN will um, benefit or not from this whole American-China trade war because as the Americans and the Chinese squabble over uh, the goods and services that they sell to each other, there's a lot of relocation. And of course, this week, the trade talks resume in earnest between the Americans and the Chinese. Already, corporations are pulling out of China, uh, issuing revenue warnings uh, in the face of all this um, volatility. Now, the issue is whether Malaysia should sign up to the CPTTP or to sign up to any other trade packs. And of course, the CPTTP is the um, TPPA part two, right? Because right. once yep. the Americans pulled out with Donald Trump's uh, ascension to presidency, the CPTTP, which was the TPPA, without the Americans, then took shape. And now Malaysia is considering whether to ratify that agreement. Uh, a lot of question marks, uh, of course. Um, Malaysia is now being pressured by a lot of quarters to sign up, to ratify. The latest of which is Pamela Chu, the Associate Director of the Economist Corporate Network. She's saying that Malaysia stands to lose foreign business if we don't ratify the agreement and to join because Malaysia might right now have the upper hand skilled workers, but not for long because Vietnam is catching up. And in fact, it's true. Vietnam is getting a lot of business. It is getting a lot of um, investments uh, by FDI because mm-hmm. it's a very cheap manufacturing base. Uh, so does Malaysia sign up for the CPTTP? That's the perennial question. 
True. And uh, d- just to add up on that, so Dato Zaina Aman Shah, the CEO of Investcale, now she said that the different strategic pivot, uh, pivot uh, as it focuses on higher value added jobs and growing in um, services sector. Now he said that um, she said that uh, Malaysia is moving up the value chain. For an example, when it comes to manufacturing, towards robotic and automation. Yeah, speaking of the CPTPP, there's also this is all against a backdrop of you know the move in operations from China to Southeast Asia that MNCs are considering because due to uncertainty right now and the potential fallout of the US-China trade war, I mean, this kind of, this region, there is a bright spot here, but whether or not Malaysia can can come to the top, can rise to the top of this, yeah, because we have other countries and they are getting very, I mean, neighbouring countries and they are getting very competitive. Okay, so what what the the news flow has been going is that the CPTTP, um, we can't really move on it until we amend quite a number of laws to yes. allow for the CPTTP to be adopted here before we can even ratify. The second thing is, and a lot not a lot of people know this, but there were quite a lot of what they call side letters when the CPTTP was um, discussed under the former administration. These side letters, a lot, a lot of carve outs, and uh, we don't know what kind of details those deals involve mm. and whether they would be damaging to the country. So um, I think I, what I understand is that the current government is, is less focused on the CPTTP and rather more on the RCEP, which is the trade deal, which is the trade pact, which is pr- propagated by, the, by China instead. And I think the CPTTP, well, um, well, what it is, is it's only 11 countries. The RCEP is 19 countries, so it's mm. wider, more all-encompassing. And um, it also doesn't obviate the possibility of Malaysia signing individual bilateral agreements with those countries that we don't have under a trade pact. So there's lots of options for Malaysia on the table, uh, for be that as it may. Yeah, well, looking at FDI, um, that's growing. Um, looking at statistics for the January to September 2018 period, FDI grew about nearly 18% to 64 billion ringgit. And what um, stats, stats are saying is that from the May to September period, um, it rose, this kind of total approved FDIs rose about 380% to 35 billion ringgit. This is for the manufacturing sector. I wonder how much of that, how much FDI um, applications have come in though? Whether or yeah. not we can have stats, statistics on that. Yeah, and I think what Malaysia does, it, 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 it is very accommodating to smaller and medium-sized FDI flows, which don't necessarily make the headlines. The big headline makers like the Dysons that go to Singapore, mm-hmm. yeah. of course, they make the big headlines, but there's billions of dollars, right? And mm. of course, the issue there is that Singapore uses its balance sheet to offer huge incentives to take equity stakes in their companies. To offer them, you know, board tax seats breaks and, and all that. Tax breaks, but board seats as well, mm. and um, even quasi government entities. So Malaysia can't do this, but it's got to be more innovative in doing so. But um, obviously, this is something which will keep uh, going on. In the meantime, though, we got the eight o'clock news, and after that, uh, Joyce, you talk to the Australians. BFM eighty nine point nine. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.